watchers in the fourth dimension. But a strange man kept telling me to take my clothes off. Now come on, we must go back to the TARDIS. It's a madhouse, it's all full of elements. It's the Revels. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And come on, Doctor, we haven't got time for butts. <laughs> there are always time for butts. This episode, we drop straight back into the middle of a 12-part epic as we return to the Daleks' master plan, covering the second six episodes. We covered the first six last time around, so if you missed that, check out our last episode to hear the discussion, otherwise you might get a little lost today. Likewise, last time round we covered all the behind-the-scenes information that we would normally cover, with the promise that we would do a short summary for each half of the story, and then do all of our metrics at the end of this episode. So that means that this time around we jump straight into our short summary, which is in the hands of Riley. Riley, over to you. Last time, the TARDIS crew had just escaped after doing the old switcheroo on the Daleks with the Terranium. So logically, the story takes us to 1960s England and then a film studio where the crew reenacts the final chase scene from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Meanwhile, the Daleks figure out they got duped, the meddling monk decides to show up, and oh, by the way, we're in ancient Egypt now. Why? Who cares? Let's go back to Kimball, where the Daleks, who are actually advancing the plot, have finally decided to turn on their fellow conspirators. The TARDIS crew arrive on Kimball to stop the Daleks' plan, and the Doctor disappears. Why? Stop asking questions! Stephen and Sarah head to the Dalek City and get captured by Chin, whose big mouth gets him killed by the Daleks. The Doctor arrives out of nowhere and turns on the Time Destructor to use as a threat to help them escape. Everybody races to the TARDIS. Stephen gets inside, and the Doctor and Sarah age due to the Time Destructor. Eventually, Sarah gets snapped Thanos-style, and the Daleks as well. The Destructor burns out, the Doctor and Stephen survive, and the Doctor sadly speaks for the audience at the end by saying, What a waste. What a terrible waste. Basically, filler episode... MacGuffin chase continues, everybody dies, the end. Yeah. And it really is that contrived. <laughs> We're going to jump straight into our discussion with Episode 7, The Feast of Stephen. I'm just going to say it now, I'm very disappointed that this episode wasn't just Stephen eating a meal for 25 minutes. <laughs> because it's not like they put a whole lot of effort into it anyway, and that at least would have been funny. I mean, we would have lost my favorite line of the entire episode where the doctor says, this is a madhouse. It is all full of Arabs. <laughs> <laughs> this was bonkers. I wrote down what the hell. I think I understand what they were trying to do, but it completely goes off the rails in the film studio where maybe it's because we can't see what's happening because it's, you know, loose cannon reconstruction, but just listening to it, it's just people screaming. It's just people screaming continually for like eight minutes, 10 minutes straight. Yeah, I was having some real difficulties. I was like, why is there so much noise? I understand that film sets can be a little bit loud, but not like that. Well, every character there was like on a hair trigger to have like an emotional breakdown for some reason. Every single one of them. <laughs> it made no sense. I mean, was it like a self-referential humor that, oh boy, these film types are so emotional or something? I don't know. I really don't know what the hell is going on here. It's two filler episodes for the price of one. <laughs> and frankly, I'm, I'm disappointed we never found out what happened to that guy's greenhouse. <laughs> yes. It was mentioned enough, it seemed to be at least pretty important as a setup for a joke, but then it, it went nowhere. The second half had multiple name drops and craziness. Casting doesn't work that way. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What I did love about the second half was the... And I don't know whether this was in the original episode or just in the recon, I assume it was in the original, was the use of those silent film-style title cards breaking up the action. Yeah, yeah That's an excellent question. I don't know if that was real or just something they put in. I assume it was real. I think it was real because one thing that caught my attention was one of the title cards said the chase was on, and I couldn't help but think of the chase. Do you think Terry Nation was being a little playful there and referring back to his own other work? A little self-referential? Yeah. I mean, possibly. But wasn't this written by, by Spooner? No, this one was this one was Terry. Okay, yeah. that almost makes sense. It kind of feels like a Terry Nation. As a farcical episode, it would have been so much better if they'd let Dennis Spooner write this one. 
<laughs> it would have made a lot more sense. Well, with Spooner, I mean, we we've already familiar with him being a little, you know, snappy with with the dialogue. It, that you know, if we're going to have a useless episode that's just there to amuse us, then can we get exactly. some jokes? Yeah, exactly. It like an extended riff almost on the Empire State Building scene in the chase. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. And I can understand and, why they mm-hmm. did it, their logic that no one would be watching on Christmas. Also, when you think about Christmas scheduling in the UK, and even today it's still true to some extent, mostly variety shows. It's, you know, a lot of fluff. It's not too heavy. That's what they're going for. You know, they, they don't really want the Daleks trundling around exterminating everyone. But what's more Christmassy than that? I was going to say... <laughs> that Crosby? Might... <laughs> yes. Honestly, this might have been better if the Daleks had shown up and exterminated everyone. Did everyone forget the classic like TV moment in the 1970s where Bing Crosby had a duet with a Dalek singing Little Drummer Boy? Am I misremembering that? <laughs> I think you might be, just a bit. Just a little bit. Now I want to see that. <laughs> I do too. This was around the time that I think Roberta Tovey, Suzy, Suzy Who from the movie, released her I'm Going to Spend My Christmas with a Dalek single. <laughs> so... <laughs> what? <laughs> oh yeah the little actress who played susan in the movie uh released a single that was called something like i want to spend my christmas with the dalek or i'm going to spend my christmas with the dalek and it was christmas 1965 one thing about this and, and we we talked about how difficult this is because we don't actually have the episode this is probably the one episode that's the least likely to be recovered out of all of them as far as we know, it was never actually telerecorded. So this was broadcast once and the print was never transferred. It was never sent abroad either for sale or for a preview. The one copy they had was apparently destroyed. So out of everything, this is the one where, which we are almost certain not to get back. In the grand scheme of things, I think that's fine. Now I've said that, it's going to be returned before we publish this episode. <laughs> Obviously, we have so many more episodes to go through, but I guess we should bring up the other interesting thing about this episode is the Doctor breaking the fourth wall at the very end. Yes. That was uh, slightly unnerving. So how can we fan-wank that away? I know, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the question. The Time Lords were watching. They're just keeping an eye on the Doctor, you know? Yeah. So Fan Myth had it for years that that was completely ad-libbed by Hartnell, which it wasn't. A lot of uh, BBC shows at the time had that kind of break of the fourth wall at Christmas. So I mean, it couldn't have been ad-libbed. I mean, what was the point of him having a bottle there and pouring it a drink? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was a nice touch, but it felt very tacked on. Let's just say, I guess they felt like the entire episode was ridiculous and silly and pointless. So it's like, well, we might as well do this with, you know, on Christmas Day. Why not? Yeah. I do think that the episode itself was a questionable decision to do it in the middle of a Dalek epic. Maybe they should have made a six-part story and had a, a one-off episode, but I wasn't the producer. Damn you, John Wiles. Yeah, damn you, John Wiles. So, Volcano, yes, we're, we're back to actual Doctor Who, an actual plot. And in order to convolute things, we bring in the time meddler. I'm not going to complain. It kind of works. It's good to see the character, and he plays off the first Doctor so well. I just feel like there was so much more going... Well, there could have been more that was organically coming from this plot, this story, that I didn't feel the need of him coming in. I don't know. It provided a nice break between Chen talking with some underling about how brilliant he was. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, it's already went. they already went so far with, with this whole thing, again, with so many episodes that, yeah, it was a nice break. And it did a better of, like, tying some things together because, you know, we do expect him back because, you know, the doctor just left him stranded. So I thought that was fun. What weirds me out is how the they kind of, like, reanimated some of it in... <laughs> It was really weird when they were showing like the pictures of the monk and stuff, and it just looked really bizarre. Yeah. So a lot of the recons we've had before season three, so when we did Marco Polo or the Crusade or even the Reign of Terror for those of us who did the recon rather than the cartoon, the BBC had used the services of someone who literally pointed a camera at the screen and took photos of the episode. And that was really for the directors to use for their showreels. John Wiles, being the wise and trusted producer of Doctor Who decided he didn't want to do that. So our friends at Loose Cannon had to 
build a lot of composite photos from publicity shots and other pieces and get creative to actually be able to give us something vaguely watchable. Well, I mean, give them credit. I, I think they did a decent enough job. I mean, it does feel disjointed, but I mean, at least it, I, I don't, I mean, it, it still functions. You can still get a sense of the story. Some of the an- more animated parts with like the Daleks and things, those felt a lot more natural. The monk did not. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the Daleks and Chen, I do love how we go through another delegate. You know, <laughs> yep. so previously they'd killed off their previous spokesman, Seaweed Man. Now, Melty Face, aka Trantis, was there something I'd forgotten from episode six? Because to me, it seemed somewhat random that he was chosen as the test subject for the time destructor. Was he just annoying everyone? Sure. (laughs) These have all kind of blended together for me into a big list of, you know, this is why you can't trust the Daleks, all of Mm -hmm. you, especially you, Chen, especially in the last episode, you big, magnanimous dumbass. It just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah and then and then of course we get bobble man as i called him aka salation as the next spokesman and you're just kind of sitting there thinking how long till he's killed off then <laughs> are you talking about like the hot stone uh, massage guy <laughs> yes <laughs> okay great thank you <laughs> i thought he looked like he had a little uh, kind of woolen bobbles all over him Hotstone's man works Aren't those too. two separate people? There's a rocky-looking guy, and there's a guy with, like, the round things? Yeah, the round things guy. No, but Julie's right. It is definitely hot stone massage guy. Absolutely. I'm just disappointed we don't get more of the evil Christmas tree. I know. Why doesn't he have any lines? I hope he just makes noises, not words. <laughs> it's like an evil Groot. Not like the weird, like, hisses, like, at the ends of phrases. or. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I think we need to discuss the Doctor's ring. And yes. how it seems that either they're building up mystery or they just don't want to explain things. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes and no, but can we talk about the fact that when we watched the web planet, I was like, why is this ring so important? And we all said, well, it's not. And then it comes back and it was important again. Yeah, I mean, it's good for it to come back, but it's just, once again, he's so secretive about like, no, 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 don't, I, you don't need to know anything about this. I forget who it was, but one of our friends, either Philip Cully or John Thomas Casey, did tell us at the time we, we did the web planet that the ring played a part in this story and we'd forgotten that so kudos to you guys we're there thank you for pointing it out and (laughs) yes it has magical properties and it's another reference for riley to the web planet yes to be fair he said that the sun had special properties and he just used the ring to reflect the sun so there's that good point this particular episode has my favorite bit of writing the time meddler last line is you haven't heard the last of me and the very next line Stephen saying, if you ask me, we haven't heard the last of that monk. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you said your favorite bit of dialogue, I thought you were going to talk about the cricket match. Oh, the cricket match. Oh. And as as a reminder, at this point, Douglas Adams was about 13 years old and was a fan. That whole bit reminded me of the Mitchell and Webb sketches with the snooker commentators. Yes! Where nothing just throws them. I, w- I was just went, oh, and that's a bad miss. I mean, it was just so in that same vein. That was wonderful. While it was completely unnecessary, it was one of the best completely unnecessary things that they've done. And it was just a lot of fun. Because they also, it wasn't overdone. Like, it was there for like a minute or two, and then it left. And I was like, great. That's the type of humor that was needed in The Feast of Stephen. I mean, that's the kind of thing that really shows you that we have moved from Terry Nation to Dennis Spooner. You've got that kind of humor. In general, the dialogue is a lot snappier and a lot better. He's a better writer, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, yeah. I've long considered Terry Nation to be my favorite hack. So <laughs> I think I think Terry Nation is more of an ideas guy. He's kind of like Lucas. He can come up with ideas, but God, don't ask him to write dialogue. He's an editor, needs someone to filter yeah. those through. He's he's a better hack than Chris Gibnall, so there's that. Terry Nation resurrect him to be showrunner next. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Bring back the corpse of Dennis Spooner. <laughs> <laughs> So, talking of death, that brings us into episode 9, Golden Death. Very quickly, at the end of Volcano, it seemed like we'd landed in London 1966, and I was getting all excited of, oh, maybe we could get the Daleks in contemporary London. 
And then the next thing I know, we're in ancient Egypt. Did I miss something? Did we take off from London and land in ancient Egypt? Or if I remember correctly, there was like a pause where they're showing those. You're right, those contemporary pictures of London, and if it was celebrate, people were celebrating. I think they were, were they referencing, I guess, the New Year. Like, yeah, I mean, it, a week a week after Christmas, yeah, this okay, would have been so, New Year's Day. Yeah, so they're just making their reference to New Year's, like, you know, just passing by, like, hey, whoever's watching the show, Happy New Year. I think that was the entire purpose of it. That, that was my, my reading of it. Fair enough. I love the Egypt setting, though. The set was nice. Yeah, the sets were really well done. I also really liked the Doctor putting on that hat. I got some major, like, Belloc from Raiders of Lost Ark vibes from him with that hat walking around in Egypt. It was very yeah, cool. he was pimping. Oh, it was nice. It was a fetching hat. But then I mean, what do we have? We have our typical historical kind of like reference, like, you know, who are these strangers? And then who are the present day people are want to, you know, fight. And it does feel kind of fillery. I honestly thought it was something a little unique because this isn't the first time we've had the kind of crossover between sci-fi and historical because we had that in The Time Meddler. But this is the first time we get a force as brutal and malevolent as the Daleks on historical Earth. You're faced with these kind of cod Shakespearean characters in the Egyptians who, you know, sound like they could be out of the Aztecs or Marco Polo. And suddenly you've got the Daleks showing up and threatening to exterminate everyone and getting into fights with the Egyptians. And then you've also got the monk just being a figure of chaos and showing up in sunglasses, looking like a rock star. Like, <laughs> I just thought it was such an interesting combination in a way that we haven't seen yet in the show. I do like the monk as, like you said, a figure of chaos because he's not necessarily evil. He just sort of has his own agenda and he will tell any of them anything they want to hear just so he can keep on doing his thing. Yeah, he's fantastic. And then we have the monk coming into contact with Chen. They are so different. Ugh. Chen, for the very smallest moment, I had hopes that Chen was trying to undermine the Daleks in a way that was good. But then I just quickly, you know, went away from that idea. Like the monk has these big lofty ideas, but it's to like better everybody. Whereas Chen's big plans are to put him on top and then the way they go about it is just different and Chen is like oh I'm so smart and blah 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 he's just kind of like doing his thing and, and I don't know just like I like how they had them talking to each other because they're just so different. Completely agree I mean one is very Terry Nation and I think Dennis Spooner did a great job of keeping Chen talking in Nation's style and then you get this Dennis Spooner character who's completely different in concept and the way he talks and that interaction is just so interesting. Loved it. I also wanted to talk about how the Doctor changes the Monk's TARDIS into so many different things. <laughs> I love that. It kind of reminded me in Aladdin when they're like running through the different things that Abu could be, you know, as forms of transportation. <laughs> and I just really wish that he had stayed with the fancy carriage because yep. the fancy <laughs> carriage was great. <laughs> it had to become a police box for the purposes of the story. <sighs> suppose honestly of, of all of these episodes we've done so far this might be the one i want back the most because there there are so many little fight scenes in there there's that element with the monk's tardis changing you've got all those glorious interactions i i would really love this one one other thing i wanted to point out because we didn't get to talk about her a lot so sarah when sarah and steven are fighting the egyptians and sarah's just like uh, karate chop and it just goes down <laughs> and I'm like yeah go Sarah go and then she's like yeah I can teach you a few things Stephen I was like yeah you can <laughs> <laughs> I'm at a point here where I really like Sarah I like certain aspects of Sarah but as a completely well-rounded character she's not as well-rounded as Vicky yeah yeah we uh, can't have nice things no. she's still not as well-rounded because she's a harsh harsher character and sometimes it can be a little bit off-putting in certain yeah. situations and we get what i'd like to call the pillsbury doughboy cliffhanger uh of this episode where <laughs> i don't know why but the uh it was video but the appearance of the of the time meddler sticking his hand outside the sarcophagus it didn't look like a mummy's hand. It looked like the Michelin man or something. I don't know. See, I was but, worried that this was where we would once again devolve into a, a hammer horror podcast. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't say I was worried. I was hopeful. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Uh, yes. So it was nice to get that little bit of moving footage at the end, um, as we lead into episode 10, Escape Switch, which, in general, is just good to be back with a real episode. It always is. Yeah. So it had been such a long time since I'd last seen this. I had forgotten whether it, I, I knew it was either going to be the doctor or the monk in the sarcophagus, but I had forgotten which one it was. And I loved that it was the doctor who had quite clearly overpowered the monk, bundled him up, and shoved him in a sarcophagus. <laughs> I mean, it seems so obvious now. Oh, so, so obvious. Another interesting thing, because, you know, the monk is trying to get them to be like, take them back to the TARDIS, and they're like, well, we don't have keys. And, you know, it's just somewhat surprising me. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, companions, these companions don't have keys. I'm used mm -hmm. to in, like, more, you know, modern Who, where they get seem to get a key fairly quickly or just be able to walk in. Yep, nope. This episode, I, again, I'm very glad we have this one because I think this one's really magnificent. We get some of Hartnell's best acting of the story in this one, in my opinion. The scene where he confronts the Daleks and is going to hand over the, the Terranium. Oh, and it's shot at that angle where he's like in between pillars. And, and he is full of righteous anger. It's magnificent. And he has that hat. <laughs> with the hat I'm glad we get the hat moving be a shame if we only had photographs of it yep and then we got to see the Egyptian fighters trying yes. to overtake the Daleks yeah no, and, and they use the wonderful technique of just surrounding one by rocks just surrounding I one with rocks worked. I think that was the return <laughs> of the stupid Dalek <laughs> I, I want to know what happens you know in in five thousand years time when someone digs it up <laughs> the archaeologists come in it's it's you know 19 1910 or something and, and they're excavating this egyptian site and and they just come across this buried dalek i can help you out with with how that works if they don't know what something is it's going to be described as being used for religious purposes. <laughs> and probably shoved in the British Museum. Yes. Big finish, are you listening? <laughs> if you are, I want to know what happened to that guy's greenhouse. Carry on. <laughs> uh, speaking of Daleks, so we've seen a lot of iterations of the Daleks over the four stories we've seen them in, right? We've had the, the desperate survivors, we've had the all-conquering pseudo-Nazis, and, and then we've had the, uh, the comedy Daleks in the chase. The Benny Hill Daleks, as it were. <laughs> I think this is where we start seeing the tone of the Daleks kind of moving forward. There's that line about uh, where one of them says, one Dalek is capable of exterminating them all! And that is just exactly how the new series is set one dalek can bring down a planet almost and i think this is where the, the seeds of that are i would agree with that I, it's still to me i think my favorite image of the daleks is the ones in the first serial where we meet them because it's just a fantastic display of body horror mm. that they yeah. started out yeah. as, as humanoids and they wound up being these crazed insane mutants in these little you know, life support cases. That's just horrifying. And that's something we will come back to a couple of times. Outstanding. Yeah. And speaking of Daleks, I, I have to give uh, my favorite physical bit in this entire episode is uh, Chen with the eye stock slapped. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, man, you, you have to really think you're, um, you know, king of the universe to be able to slap a Dalek in the eye stock. <laughs> I mean, all through this, Chen is incredibly charismatic. And, I mean, I'm not surprised he, A, became guardian of the solar system, because he's clearly a born politician, but B, I mean, the, the way his, his self-view just builds and builds and builds. I mean, he's, he's magnificent. It, it ramps up, like, the performance and his lines and his, like, egotism just ramps up to an outrageous extent at the very end. It's like 
carries himself away practically <laughs> the character by the end of the entire serial. I don't want to call it a trope because I don't recall it happening. It, I don't re- think of it happening too often, but that is like a, a concept where the, the, the villain, you know, you know, basically gets high on their own supply too much. And then like, just really just believes that they are unstoppable. Yep. And of course his, his presence brings us into my favorite Billy fluff of this story where he goes to say his name and says, uh, magic, uh, Mavic Chan. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Billy Hartnell, you legend. (laughs) So the doctor, of course, in this story steals a part of the monk's TARDIS, which leaves the monk unable to steer his own TARDIS. And we're left. Our last vision of the monk is, I'll get you for this. Will you, though? Will you? I really wanted him to come back. I mean, Speaking uh, of our, Big Finish. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, our good friends at Big Finish have actually brought him back. <laughs> As they should. But, he's, um, he's a fun character. He is, and I, I think the Doctor was a bit of a jerk in this case. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. Just sitting there like, I can't wait for his next appearance. Oh, wait. The doctor doesn't kill anybody, but he does really terrible things that eh, people might end up dying because of it. True. More plausible deniability. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. With that, we end on a cliffhanger of the TARDIS blowing up, because why not? Which brings us into episode 11, The Abandoned Planet. This is finally where it feels like we are back on track to the main plot of the Daleks wanting to conquer everything. <laughs> we departed this, what was it, four or five episodes ago? <laughs> right so before had, the Feast of Stephen. We've had all that fluff, and now we're looping back to it. <sighs> I, just, I just imagine, like, some Daleks that are, like... Just, I just want a tongue-in-cheek reference for one of them to say, like, get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we supposed to invade something? I mean, this did devolve into the chase part too at times, so, you know, yeah. that little bit of humor would not go in this. So Chen, you know, continuing to think that he's one, and the Daleks finally have that quick little aside that's like, nah, let's not kill him yet. We, we still have a use for him. I just loved that because it's like, yep, we all know what's going to happen, and the Daleks just confirmed it. So let's just watch this play out. I have to admit, yep. I was really looking forward to him dying. <laughs> Chad. I'm like, okay, you've had one monologue too many. <laughs> That's enough. And, Even though, and yet you still have another episode to get through, Don. Back in Volcano, <laughs> he sort of called back to a joke I made in our previous episode when he loudly states, it came from Uranus. I know it did. <laughs> Uh, yep yeah i mean this this really starts becoming a a story of marvik chen's hubris and then he goes in front of the council and starts talking about how some of them are more equal than others Uh just in case all this all the all the stuff early in the story about you know driving home analogies with this and communism wasn't quite enough. We now get a direct George Orwell reference. <sighs> Subtlety, not strong here. <laughs> no, there's no need. Yeah. And so Chen's descent into madness, I mean, it's clearly been going on for a little while, but I feel like this episode is where it really starts to come to a head. He he kills off a, another delegate, because why not? One we've barely even heard speak, Giron. Honestly, until the subtitles told us it was Giron, I, I honestly couldn't have put a name to that delegate. Oh no, not Giron. <laughs> Proclaims himself leader of the council, and then the Daleks trap them in the room. And yet somehow Chen doesn't think that he is being double-crossed by the Daleks. For a politician... He's really not very good at being able to read the room. <laughs> no. I was so confused, like, when he walks up that ramp and sees that, like, it's barred, and then he just, like, walks back, and he's all like, oh, yeah, I'm still in tra-. And I was like, what? Like, did, I mean, you, did you not just understand that? He's clearly trying to, you know, 
keep his composure and show he's still in control to the other delegates, but... But it didn't even show, like, in a side of him, like, freaking out. Yeah. Which, you know... Or discussing it with yet another underling. <laughs> or, you know, another monologue. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> so, in the meantime, I mean, this is a, a Dr. Light episode because Billy's off on his holidays again. And we have Stephen and Sarah exploring the Dalek City. And this is really where I... And, and Julie, I think you'll have, probably have an opinion on this, but the utilization of the soundscape from the Daleks for the city on Campbell was awesome. Like that, the city on Campbell, all the sounds as they explore, all those like ethereal noises, they used again from that first Dalek serial as they were exploring the city on Skaro. I thought that was so cool. Honestly, for the majority of this, what, 12-parter, I can't really comment too much on all the music choices because there's just so much happening. But it is, yeah, probably the most noticeable um, in this one, especially since no one's there. <gasps> yeah. Where did they go? So that That's actually one thing that was nice about this one is, um, you know, since I've never seen this before, I was definitely being like, oh my gosh, have they already used the time destructor? Is that why no one is here? Or, and then I kept going through like different things of like what was happening. And so they did a pretty decent job of not really showing all their cards. So I thought they, I thought this episode was pretty well done in that respect. Yeah. The, the one thing that I find so astonishing here is delegates, by the time Stephen and Sarah find them, they are astonished they've been betrayed. <laughs> How did they not see it coming? And then they start talking about forming their own council to fight the Daleks. And it's like, guys, did you not know what you were signing up for? Clearly not. Well, wait, I mean, weren't these the same guy? I mean, yeah, Missions to the Unknown. I mean, Evil Christmas Tree, uh, Melt Face, they were all there. They're all like, yeah, let's get on this Dalek invasion. Let's conquer yeah, some stuff. Did they just not know from the beginning, though, that, you know, the Daleks wouldn't have time for them? But but Evil Christmas Tree, or Evil Orco, as I called him, did make a return in this. Yeah, which, you know... It did make me true. happy. He may not have been in the actual episode, but we don't know. Shut up! It's real to me! He is... Yeah, he's in, in our hearts, that's for sure. <laughs> Sorry, for some reason, that just really tickled me. <laughs> Forever in our hearts. There's a point where they're surprised... By, by Chin appearing behind them. And I think he says something about faking his own death. I clearly missed something, ha missed something there because I didn't realize he had supposedly died. <laughs> so that would be, that would be very funny for a character to do that, to, to, to proclaim that he's tricked everyone by faking his death when he hasn't done anything. <laughs> That's kind of what I thought happened. <laughs> So, Don, what, what you missed was uh, all the delegates went off to their own galaxies to try and mobilize a force to stop the Daleks. And as Chen's spaceship takes off, it explodes. And they assumed he all died. I clearly they all missed he that. Died. I like my interpretation yeah. that he thought he faked his death. Everyone else just thought he was in the bathroom. <laughs> Much better. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to lie. So when I was... You know, when I was watching it, I did notice that it had blown up. And I was like, well, that was anticlimactic. I was like, no, I wanted him to go out in a different way, not just like by blowing up in a spaceship. That's boring. And then I was like, oh, all right, he's back. Cool. He'll die again another way. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of that, let's move into episode 12, Destruction of Time. So... Continuing the theme, Chen has, like, completely lost the plot. I mean, he thinks the Doctor's trying to usurp his position with the Daleks. The fact he even thinks he still has a position with the Daleks is, is something in itself, but... I, I had no idea what his plan was. It's like, all right, so the Daleks had them all trapped, and now he's, like, walking in. First, he thinks the Doctor wants to take his place, and he's, like, going in with Sarah and Steven. I'm like, so what are you going to accomplish? This is where he seemed like a very different character, because in the first half, he had, he had a plan. He was a bit more reserved and planned on betraying the Daleks. And here, he was just 
batshit crazy. Yeah, he was tweaking out. <laughs> Just freaking out. Dialed up to 11. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can assume here is he's seen his his plan fall apart and he's just in denial and lost the plot. I don't know. Especially when he was, you know, in that showdown with the Dalek Supreme, which I think is the one that comes with sour cream and tomatoes. And he was... No, it's called the, the Dalek Royale. <laughs> the Royale, which he's... And he's, he's basically, you know, ordering him to put the Daleks under his command. <laughs> and the Dalek Supreme is literally just just staring him down. And he takes that as meaning that it's happened. And then is shocked. Shocked. When the Dalek that he gives orders to just ignores him. How how much I would have paid so much if Loose Cannon could have like and they could have done this easily by taking old Dalek footage. If once he says that to when he asks the Dalek Supreme for that, if the Dalek Supreme, after like st- staring at him for a while, just turns to the camera like the office and just like breaks the fourth wall like are you kidding me what is what the hell is going on here (laughs) (laughs) this is where we do get the daleks whispering to each other as well (laughs) which i love so much that was great and then the daleks are smart enough to be like so we can't kill him right here because it's not safe so go kill him over there where it is safe. All right, good job, Daleks. <laughs> Take him outside and have him shot. Oh. Pretty much. I feel like at this point we've just been waiting for him to die for, I don't know, two episodes? Uh, Twelve. <laughs> he, he sort of outlived both his usefulness and his entertainment value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I... I the next time Kevin Stoney is in the show, he is so much better and and really steals the show in that story. But yeah, here it's definitely time to move on. So a wild doctor appears and he has a plan. Yeah. What was he doing last episode? So he disappears for without any explanation, suddenly reappears out of nowhere. With a plan. And- uh, with a plan, just like, oh, by the way, I mean, what? I mean, that is just nuts. So disjointed. And then he just steals the time destructor. And he's like, look what I got. I'll just turn this I'll turn this baby on right there. Boom. Let's go. Before we get into the point where the tone starts shifting back to where it started, I got to say that time destructor would make an excellent lamp, and I really want one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, so we're getting to a point where it starts to turn a little dark again. Yeah. This is also the point where I really noticed the use of music and sound. I found it super effective. Yes. And uh, it's also when I was reminded when the I remember that produ- the producer hates women. <laughs> and that she didn't want to be a companion and didn't sign on. Of course, she would have had to be under John Wiles, so who could blame her? <laughs> yes. <sighs> it, it, it wraps up pretty much just it's a chase to the TARDIS. The doctor has the effects of the time destructor. It kills Sarah. Uh, Stephen comes up just in enough and he must have aged some sort of years if it's all sped up and then they reverse it Daleks show up and then they revert back to like their more you know embryonic little form baby or Daleks little baby Daleks Jim Henson's baby Daleks again this is another scene I would really like to be able to see oh, definitely I want to see how they did this yeah. even in the loose cannon reconstruction it had the proper emotional impact as you watch yes, Sarah just get older and older and then eventually she's just a skeleton and then and then the and then blows yeah. away in the dust. Yep, she gets dusted. Thanos strikes again. <laughs> uh, they did it before it was cool. And what's strange is usually there's so much resolution at the end of a Doctor Who serial. There was so much that happened. They've gone through so much. The death of like two temporary companions. I feel like they rushed that ending, that discussion between the Doctor and Stephen so quickly that even while it does have some gravitas, it just feels so glossed over. I would go as far as to say three temporary companions because Brett is starting to fill that role by the time he's killed. That's true. Hmm. Yep, there's that. 
Another question that I had, the Terranium. The whole point of having this time destructor was, I think, partially to affect the time across the universe, correct? it was limited to just a planet. Well, yeah, but so what was the Daleks' end goal? Were they just going to go to one planet? It seems like they went through a lot of effort to get this thing that only affects one planet I don't see how they can conquer the universe by conquering well, one planet. And I think their whole point was to use it on Earth. So then, yeah, I'm not sorry for this. They would gain control of Uranus and then be able <laughs> to get more of it. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. By conquering Earth? I'm assuming Earth is basically, you know, the de facto leader the, head of the solar okay. system because we humans are pretty self-absorbed and would think that. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> basically, I think, what they said in Mission to the Unknown. Oh, that was a long time ago. Yeah. So that point, at this point, that's uh, if you're watching the show, that's over four months ago. <laughs> you're watching it in real time. And I'm not saying I remembered that. I'm just trying to justify it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay, great. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me that that was their end game. Like they could have conquered the planet in so many other ways without needing that. It doesn't make sense. So this whole thing was a wash. Let, let's not think about it too hard. 12 episode of Dalek Mania. That's what we're going with here. It does feel like it's wrapped up rather quickly. But there is that nice little bit of Steven being upset about the friends they've lost along the way. I mean, it's, it's a nice character moment. And I think it's reflective of how Peter Purvis has really acted his heart out through this and, and shown why he's the only one who actually had a contract at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't that what really matters? <laughs> exactly. It's the contracts we made along the way. <laughs> yes. Well, since we've reached the end of the story, it's time to move on to our metrics. Don, I believe you've been keeping track of the number of deaths over the course of the story. Do, do you have a final count? I do, but I, lo I lost my notes. So our final oh. count is going to be 11 -T. Thank you. 11 -T. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Count, count. Ken's performance... Uh, how, how many uh, points does he get? How many camp points do we get? All Chen? of them. He, uh... he couldn't have been <laughs> so... more camp by the end if he wasn't singing show tunes in between monologues. <laughs> I think we capped our, our camp count at 10. So 10. 10? Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, I felt like this the Feast of Stephen was deserving. Oh, and this, on its own, yes. This is, you know double the length of almost any story we've had before. So do, do we want to double the cap on this one? So 20. 20. Just give I, it all. Just give it all. There was a BBC show in the 70s called Blake 7. The joke about it was that it always oscillated wildly between being absurdly bleak and ridiculously camp. I feel like that's what we have here all through this story. It can't quite decide which direction to go in. So it goes in all of them at the same time. <laughs> exactly. I didn't want to really add on, but I want I do want to do one quick count, is I want to count the number of times they went to a new place. Yes. <laughs> if we go by, like, the TARDIS, or them actually physically going to another place, so, like, reappearing back somewhere, we have, like, 11. Jeez. Almost won an episode. Oh, yeah. I would also Just about. like to point out as a randomly reoccurring feature that I believe in episode seven, Stephen gives Sarah a, an exact quote I'll explain later. I know we've had one of those before. We've had at least one. I'll go back and find out where that was, but we're going to start. I'm adding that to the metrics. We don't have to go to the going to multiple places, but this, this episode... It just needed that. I think with any this... Terry Nation story, that's something we should, we should keep in mind. <laughs> yeah, I think future Terry Nation stories, we should start doing the, the, the Terry trope count. <laughs> with our metrics done, that brings us on to our scoring. And Don, it's your turn to start. Oh, crap. For 12 episodes of Dalek <laughs> Insanity... This is very difficult for me to gauge as a whole because it's 12 episodes. I've slept since I watched the first half. And frankly, <laughs> it's difficult to keep it all together. I have an amazing amount of respect for them attempting such an audaciously large serial. 12 episodes 
plus it's connected to an additional story that was by itself. It has its problems, one being most of it's lost. Pacing, would everyone agree? Pacing might be a, a, a bit <laughs> yeah. of an issue. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't feel I can complain about it too much. Admittedly, Feast of Stephen could be completely cut out and it doesn't matter at all. Other things could also have been trimmed, but considering how high they were going, I think they did a pretty good job. So I am going to give it seven missing greenhouses out of 10. All right. Thank you, Don. Julie, you're next. I, for the most part, agree. This was a very vast undertaking. And for the most part, this whole season, I've been a little bit. I, I wouldn't say judging too harshly, but this season I haven't en- enjoyed as some of the others. But I think this serial, it turned itself around. I think once Dennis Booner kind of picked up the writing for the end of this, I the pace picked up, minus the Feast of Stephen, but I think that was, you know, that was tearing Nation anyway. You know, it has its ups and downs. Um, I liked the monk coming back. Chen was a little bit over the top, but ultimately one of the more dynamic characters that we've seen in a while. I'm actually also going to give it seven out of 10 mummies, I guess. (laughs) All right, Riley. Last time I talked about this, I talked about how much I enjoyed how the plot jumps around from one location to another. (sighs) Oh, sweet (laughs) summer child, how naive I was. Uh, it, it gets kind of ridiculous, all the jumping around. and But, you know, listening to everyone else give their scores, I've, I've come to realize maybe what they were trying to go for. I mean, and, it, and I should have accepted that from the very beginning. Uh, it's 12 episodes. They were trying to make an epic. You know, they were, I mean, think about all the location changes. I mean, that's what we think about, like, with Star Wars films. It was like, you know, there's usually three big location pieces. Three, you know, and like here they have, as Julie said, 11 you know, I mean, we have the volcano planet. We have the planet that the uh, the monk ends up on. We have ancient Egypt. We, ha- I mean, we're, we're going all over the place. So, yes, I mean, and I feel like our scores would have all been a bit higher if we could have actually seen it instead of just having the stills and the reconstruction. I think it probably would have there, like the, the production value, I mean, really would have sold us a lot more because without it, we're stuck with the audio. And what do we have with that? We have a lot of chin uh, chewing up scenery, and we have uh, a slow plot that we won't be just, we can't be distracted away from by looking at the awesome sets. I think it's important because of the the deaths of the temporary companions um, for Doctor Who, for any Doctor Who fan. So I think I'm going to give it just a slight notch higher than everyone else i'm gonna go uh 7.5 confused cricket announcers out of 10 good use there of cricket announcers thank you welcome so from my perspective yeah i i agree they reached for the sky here it didn't quite come off certainly looking at it from modern perspective where i don't know about you guys but i watched the first half in blocks of two episodes and the second half in blocks of three episodes i watched I guess the whole story over the space of about five days, which is not how this was meant to be watched in any way, shape or form. This was meant to be watched over the course of three months, one episode a week. And we we did it in four weeks ish, depending on how everyone watched it. Does it have its flaws? Absolutely. Did it have amazing production values? I think so. Every single set we saw, whether it was on the reconstruction or the three episodes we had looked amazing. They put a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort into this. I can't fault Dougie Camfield in the way he realized this on screen. I think that was a challenge and he rose to it magnificently. I think the entire regular cast did well. It was extremely ballsy in killing off three pseudo companions over the course of the 12 episodes. I think over the remainder of Classic Who, we only have one companion who dies after this. So this was groundbreaking. And I think I'm with Riley, and I can't quite give this just seven. I have to go a little higher. So for me, this is 
seven and a half M's of terranium out of ten. <laughs> so that gives us a an average score for this of seven point two five. Aside from Galaxy Four, every story this season so far has had an average score between seven and, and seven point five. So we're we're surprisingly consistent so far, with the exception of Galaxy Four, which we all thought was awful. <laughs> you can't win you can't win them all. That brings us towards the end of our two episodes on this absurdly long story. Before we fully wrap up, we did have some mail. A gentleman by the name of Matthew Cox wrote to us and said, Hey guys, loving the podcast. It's the perfect companion to my recent marathon. Just a quick thought. Have you thought about the possibility of moving to weekly episodes? Two weeks is a long time to wait, and I often forget about the next episode by the time it comes around. Either way, keep up the great work. Well, I know Don has some feelings on this, and from my perspective, I would dearly love it if we could go weekly. But, and there's a but here, none of us really have the time right now to churn out episodes on a weekly basis. We all have to watch the episodes, I do research, we record, Don edits, and we all have to balance our professional lives and personal lives outside of the podcast. We might try and do it in the future, but right now we just can't do that, much as we would like to. We'll continue to reevaluate that, but right now we really just have to stay at, at every two weeks. That brings us to the end of things. We'll be back next time when we travel to 16th century Paris with a story that will truly engage your kids as Doctor Who tackles religious persecution. <laughs> In the meantime, all of our previous episodes are available on your favorite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D, and you can still email us, email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, and as you have heard, we will read out your mails. But for now, thank you very much for listening, and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippeck, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Bring Back the Corpse of Dennis Spooner, was recorded on Wednesday the 20th of November 2019. And always remember, even when the Doctor does show up, everyone can still die sometimes.